Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'll tell you, I often call that a luxury. I was just um, on an interview a couple days ago and I said, I had the luxury of losing everything. And she said, what do you mean luxury? And I said, you know, it's almost like once everything's wiped clean, you can you can restart. You you can start over and you can start over at any moment. But there was something about that second bankruptcy. I didn't just lose money. I lost I lost the house. I lost the two cars. You know, I couldn't hardly face my family. I lied to everyone and told them stories. But what I was really lost was inside myself. So the wonderful thing about being so lost inside yourself, when you realize, like, I have no idea who I am, what I'm doing here, those are some really profound questions that you can start really diving into. I call them like deep dives. So when I started deep diving into what the hell am I doing on this planet and why am I here? Because I'm still here. I tried to kill myself. It didn't work. I'm obviously here for a reason. When I started diving into those is when my life really started started turning around and I started realizing there's just a much better future. I'm Srini Rao and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Susie, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, yeah, I'm thrilled. I've been looking forward to this. <sighs> Likewise, and I think many of our listeners have as well. But before we uh, actually get to the product that you have created and the company that you've built, which they're all familiar with, I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you've ended up making with your life and your career? Yeah, so my parents, I grew up in Arkansas in a little tiny town, super conservative. And um, my mom and dad uh, got pregnant with me when they were 18. So they were babies. And my dad was a musician and my mom was like an art student in high school. And you know, all of a sudden they're pregnant with this kid. And so as I grew up, my dad ended up leaving music. My mom never pursued art. And um, they were really kind of these really lost creatives, you know. Um, my dad really wanted to do music, but he couldn't figure out how to do music and feed a family. So he was like an asphalt guy. He had an asphalt company. And um, he ended up being like a bipolar alcoholic. And what I really saw as I got older in my life was that he had no creative outlet. Like he really was this creative that was sort of imprisoned in this super conservative world that he didn't fit into, but he didn't have any other options. So I always say you either learn by uh, example or learn by rebellion, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to be like you. So I was the rebel. I was the one that just kind of said like, you know, I, I learned some things like hard work. You know, like I saw my dad work his, work his ass off, literally. Um, but it didn't yield anything. We were always really poor and he struggled. He literally struggled through life. And when I look back now, I often wonder, like, how would he have been, you know, musicians struggle, right? But at least they have their art and they have their passion. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have anything. You know, he's doing this manual labor that he didn't love, Um and, you know, I just saw that as an opportunity, like, I'm not going to do that. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm really clear I'm not going to do that because he's working super hard. And it took me many years, of course, to figure out the, the recipe. But um, and my mom uh, ended up just being depressed and at home. You know, she was an art student that had no outlet for her art. So she ended up not working and sort of tapping out in life. I know that's a little bit of a sad story, but I think that is what also catapulted me into moving and trying so much in the world. It's literally like I've got to, un you know, I'm sort of stuck back in this conservative world. And I just wanted to push forward. And I was a little bit like a wild Mustang, you know, for, for many years, um, just trying, you know, random stuff, just going crazy. But I was so sure I didn't want to be that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think differentiates the person who uh, learns by example versus the one who learns by rebellion? Because you could so easily become a byproduct of your environment. I mean, so many of us do. Mm. Yeah, I think that what happened for me was um, it was so painful. Um, one of the things that I love you talking about creativity, I think it's just such a breath of fresh air. Um, I'm a creative. I didn't know that until probably about six years ago. I had no idea there was a spot for that in the world. Um, but what I knew is that I didn't fit in and I didn't, it didn't feel good. I was in pain, like literally in pain um, because I was a curious child. So for example, being in, I was raised like Church of Christ, the super, you know, it's a really strict religion. Like you're going to go to hell if you wear shorts or if you dance, right? 
So um, I was always that curious child that always asked why, you know, so I questioned religion, I questioned in school, I was always why, why, why. And I was really in trouble for it most of my life. You know, I was, I was the, the problem child. Um, I, I just didn't understand or it just didn't resonate with me that the, the things that I was being sold. Okay. You know, I just somehow within my being, there was something that I knew there was another world, even though I had never seen it or had access to it, just something within my being wouldn't let me stay put. And I was just curious. And as I've you know, gotten older, I see that curiosity is actually my superpower. <laughs> but um, it's amazing about how within our structured uh, religion or education systems, there's not really room for curiosity. Um, so I don't, you know, so for me, rebellion was the only choice because I knew I wasn't going to do that. And as a matter of fact, so much so that I tried to kill myself when I was 21 um, because here I was in this conservative world. I, I didn't know anyone that was a creative. Remember, my parents were, you know, these um, artists that. Um, just never got to express themselves in the world. And I saw everyone around me pretty much in pain. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't think there was a way out. So I tried to kill myself because I was like, I, I can't live in this world because this is horrible. So for me, it was pain. I was, I was in pain. I needed to fly and be free, but I had no examples or role models to be able to do that. So, um, you know, Anise Nen has a quote. What does she say that the... Uh, the the pain something about it became so great and the blossom that the risk it took to um, you know to change was was less you know it was less painful to to move to blossom than it is to stay put and that's absolutely anytime I've been in any transformation process that's that's the point like I literally am in pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I'm really glad you brought up the, the religious and spiritual background. I'm curious, you know, having had this very strict religious upbringing, um, this is something that I have not asked many people about, but it's something that's been on my mind lately as I've gotten older. Uh, do you have a, a spiritual or religious practice now as an adult? And how did the experience you had as a child inform the one that you have now as an adult? Yeah, I am a deeply spiritual person, um, and it's kind of ironic. I live in a church. I bought a 120-year-old Methodist church that I've remodeled into a home, um, and I'm not religious, but I absolutely have a deep spiritual practice. I've studied many religions. I was at Thanksgiving, um, you know, giving some gratitude for my children, and I, I let them know that they taught me 100% acceptance in people because my children were with me when we studied Christianity and then Buddhism and then Kabbalah and then Hinduism. You know, I took them to India. I took them down to the jungles of Peru. Like I've always been fascinated with belief systems. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, because I'm a free spirit, I've never, um, you know, I've never had the discipline or desire to follow one particular path. So I like to think really high level. I, I do believe that there's got to be someone or something orchestrating this universe. And uh, maybe it's just a safety mechanism in my mind to help me feel safe. I don't know what it is, but I, um, I do. I read uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, I think when I was about 41. And that really woke me up to like, wow, okay, I don't have any purpose or meaning in my life. That's when I really started studying religion. And now when I go to Utah, like I visit the Mormon temple. When I'm in India, I go to the ashrams. Like I have such a reverence and deep gratitude for people that are religious, but I don't consider myself religious at all. Wow. Yeah. So, um, talk to me about sort of the early part of your career, like first jobs, uh, early entrepreneurial efforts, and how that finally led to you know where you are today. Yeah, so early on, um, I was always a hustler. So um, I think I told you, I tried to kill myself when I was 21. I ended up in a, you know, I made some not great choices in my life, um, probably based on my dysfunctional childhood. But I ended up in an abusive marriage. I escaped that, sort of like a sleeping with the enemy um, you know, getting out of that. And then I really put myself into serious work. Um, and I did things the way I was taught to do it. Cause you have to remember, I didn't fit in 
remember, like me being curious and me being a creative didn't fit in the world. So I had abandoned all of that. I was like, okay, here's how you're supposed to do it. You got to push through. You got to make it happen. You have to sell out. If I do this, then they'll give me that. All of those rules were what I was taught is the way it happens in the business world. And I did all of that, like relentlessly until the point when my second bankruptcy um and I was like 38 years old, it was in 2001, and I lost everything. And um, what I realized is I didn't want to have anything to do with the business world. I was like, I am done. Like, I want to. So I went on the spiritual sabbatical to really try to find out, like, the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And I found I found that out, you know, and that's deep within myself and that that success is an inside job. So I didn't need success. And ironically, is when I came up with the idea of a poopery. But I was always that person, you know, in the past that I would have a job, but then I'd be selling stuff out of the back of my car. You know, it's like I always knew I wanted to get ahead. But the reason I wanted to get ahead was so that I could prove myself to the world that I was worthy, that I'd be somebody that I could finally have respect that, you know, so I was chasing success for all the reasons we chase success or we're taught to chase success, but it was so unfulfilling within my being because whenever at my second bankruptcy, I was bankrupt. I forgot to tell you, I was bankrupt when I was 19. Um, I always say I was like those rodeo riders, you know, the, the, the bull riders that the gate opens and they just fall immediate and you go, hey, they didn't even ride. Like that was my first entrepreneurial adventure. Then I struggle, struggle, struggle until my second bankruptcy when I was 38. And then I was done. I was like, that's it. I'm out of this game. Um, what I didn't realize until after I started Poopery, and, um, and I don't even think that this was an entrepreneurial adventure. I literally just had an idea and birthed something, something you know, this, this amazing idea and, and me got together and I created this formula that I was in service to bring it to the world. Um, so the different, the way I look at success now is that if everything fell apart tomorrow, I absolutely can bet you everything I have that I would be okay. Like, because I have successes within, it's inside of myself now because I've, I've gone back and realized that I am a creative. I, I'm, I'm a curious and I'm creative. And I love when you talk about that because that is actually my superpower. So with curiosity and creativity, I can do anything. I literally can figure anything out. I could have no home. I'd be on the street and I promise you I'd have a community. I'd have a house. Yes, it'd be hard and it'd be hellacious, but I know absolutely that I have everything within myself um, to to feel successful, no matter if, if money's taken off the table. Yeah. And money's great. I love it. I love, <laughs> you know, I love the attention. I love, I love that I can play. I can do anything I want. So I'm not anti-money, um, but uh, it is not everything. It doesn't make me anymore when it used to. So we'll, we'll come back to the money piece because I have, have lots of questions about that. Um, I want to go back to three moments in particular, the suicide attempt and the two bankruptcies. You know, I'm curious, coming out of the other side of those events, um, you know, how did you process and deal with the emotion? And you know, when people are in these moments in their own lives, you know, what do you say to them? Like, how do you how do you get them to pull out of it when it's not you that's in the situation, but it's somebody else? Oh, wow. Yeah. So my dad attempted suicide when he um, he was in his 50s. And I remember going to the hospital and I looked at him and I said, and he just looked at me and said, I'm sorry. And I said, you don't have to apologize to me. I said, and I'm here to tell you that I want what you want. Like, if you don't want to be here, I want to honor that. Don't stay here for me. And he cried and cried, and he was so relieved. What I know is whenever someone tells me I don't want, to, I am not pro-suicide. But what I know from my own experience is you can be at a place when the, when the chaos inside of your head and inside of your being is so loud that you'll do anything to shut it off. So the first thing that I usually do is come from a place of compassion. Like, I know, like, I, I don't blame anyone that decides to take their life. I don't think you should. My life is so much more amazing than I ever dreamt possible. But also 
what I tell them is there are options. See, I didn't know there were options. Remember, I was this, you know, stuck creative that was in this world that said, I can't fit in. I can't be here. So I need to take myself out. What I didn't realize is there's actually a whole, there's multiple options available to me. But at the time I was looking through such a narrow lens. So I first come with empathy and um, just saying, I understand. And, you know, I'm not here to convince you out of anything, but I am here. If you'd like to talk through options, I know options. Um, and my, my, my finding was that, you know, I was glad that whatever divine force decided not to, uh, you know, I, I didn't die, obviously. And um, just recently, I, I told my kids, I've actually learned how to live. Like, this is the first time that I love being in the world. Um so that's the thing I do. And as far as bankruptcies, um, I'll tell you, I often call that a luxury. I was just um, on an interview a couple days ago, and I said, I had the luxury of losing everything. And she said, what do you mean luxury? And I said, you know, it's almost like once everything's wiped clean, you can, you can restart. You, you can start over, and you can start over at any moment. But there was something about that second bankruptcy. I didn't just lose money. I lost, I lost the house. I lost the two cars. You know, I couldn't hardly face my family. I lied to everyone and told them stories. But where I was really lost was inside myself. So the wonderful thing about being so lost inside yourself, when you realize, like, I have no idea who I am, what I'm doing here, those are some really profound questions that you can start really diving into. I call them like deep dives. So when I started deep diving into what the hell am I doing on this planet and why am I here? Because I'm still here. I tried to kill myself. It didn't work. I'm obviously here for a reason. When I started diving into those is when my life really started started turning around and I started realizing there's just a much better future. So I will tell anybody that um, facing a, a bankruptcy or if you're, you know, an abusive situation, if you're bankrupt, if the first thing to do is take full responsibility and realize that you've made choices. You know, the second bankruptcy was stock market crashing, right? But in reality, I could say, well, the stock market crashed, which was true. But also I was living above my, right on the edge of my means. So um, right now I'm debt free and I haven't had a loan in my company. And, you know, we're, you know, we don't even use a line of credit. So I've reconstructed my life where that won't happen again. Um, but taking full responsibility and kind of going, I made some really bad choices here. And here's what I did. Here's how I can redo that. So for me, it's like having new soil and new fertile ground. So, um, gosh, I'm just remembering a story when I was, let's see, it was my second bankruptcy. I think I was actually 20. I told you 19, but I was about 20. But I remember going to the bank um, to get a loan. I needed another loan. And the guy gave me such amazing advice. He said, he was the president of the bank. And he said, I'm an entrepreneur. And he had been bankrupt like four or five times, like a crazy amount. He owned like, you know, six, you know, 60 Kentucky Fried Chickens and Pizza Huts. And he was a successful guy in town. And um, he said, so don't worry about that. Like, turn your back. Don't look back. Learn what you can and face forward, you know. And then he said the other thing he taught me was um, that the number one thing is to realize when you have a rotten fish. And when you have a rotten fish, throw it out. And then just keep trucking like it. That's the important thing is not to keep hanging on because I think we keep hanging on because we're so afraid of losing. When if we would just face it like I lost, man, OK, let's start over. And, and how can I clean up, clear up so that I am in a much stronger place than I was before? Because that actually can happen. Hmm. Um, and I prefer to learn now through wisdom rather than experience. <laughs> Back then, I thought I had to have these hard crashes and come out like the phoenix. Um, now, I realize I can make those small shifts on a daily basis where I don't have to have so much drama in my life. Um, but yeah, I think you're going to be fine. You know, it's, it's, it's people's worst nightmare, but your worst nightmare, you're still going to realize that you're still breathing and you're alive and there's so much opportunity. So 
Why do you think that we have so much difficulty letting go of our past? And, uh, you know, I'm asking this because I know that I have a tendency to ruminate on past situations and play situations over in my head thinking, okay, if I'd done this one thing differently, the whole outcome would have been different. And, and I'm wondering why you think that is, and more importantly, how we kind of, as you say, let go of that and look forward instead. Yeah, I think that what I found is I tell people I'm a creative Um, I have a very creative mind. And if I don't give my mind something to do, it's going to create. So (laughs) isn't that true? Oh, I can relate. Yeah. So I have to keep myself creating. I have to keep myself in a creative outlet. If I don't have a creative outlet and a funnel to put that creativity into, my mind goes crazy. I'll go through the past. I'll dissect it. I'll chop it up a million pieces. Would have, should have. Like, so I've learned that that is merely there's nothing wrong with that but it other than like my father a misuse of creative energy you know a lack of using creative energy so my practice is to have creative outlets when i start finding myself ruminating i really come back to wait hold it why well, i haven't you know i haven't wrote or i haven't come up with a new creative project at the office so then i start looking at where can i express this creativity it could just be dancing in the middle of the room for a few moments but that ruminating is is really like a it's, it's it's like that ADD child that's in a classroom bouncing off the walls is all it is. Yeah. And once you realize that, when I realize that, I can be like, oh, hold on. I can funnel this energy because it's great energy and it's super creative. But the point is you can't redo the past. So there's no sense going there. I always tell people like they ask me about competition and they ask me about the past. And I go, you know, I can't go through life looking. I can't drive and looking through the rearview mirror the whole time. Uh-huh. Right. I can look every once in a while, make sure everything's OK. But um What's done really is done. And I treat it more like a Zen. Have you seen the the wonderful Zen artist? You know how they're, uh, they do these amazing sand paintings um, and then these mandalas and these gorgeous. They spend days doing these. And then once, you know, they, they, they're done, they literally wipe it clean. Uh-huh. So for me, that's what the past is. Like it is, it is done. It is not present. It's, it's in it. And I have found no value in going back, trying to reconstruct the past. Like it, it's, it doesn't matter where there's value is going, what did I learn and what can I do differently? That's it. And then once those are done, like literally also another trick that I've learned is to write, write it down because the mind being creative. One of my teachers, uh, Byron Katie used to say my spiritual teachers that I studied with uh, years ago, she used to say the mind belongs on paper. Because it is creative, but sometimes you'll journal or just write some of that out. It literally will get it out of your head into a solid form where it's not kind of bouncing around. Um, yeah, so those are some of the practices I do. But it's basically making sure I keep myself in creative flow. Because if I don't, boy, does this mind get wild. <laughs> <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I can, I can relate. Um, yeah. Let's, let's do this. Let, let's shift gears a little bit, and um, let's talk about sort of the founding of, of Poopery. Like, you know, how in the world did you come up with this idea? Yeah, so um, Poopery, you know, I shared earlier that I was in this kind of spiritual sabbatical. Just I was done with the business world. I don't want anything to do with it. And um, I was really at a state of um, inner peace in, in myself. I didn't need money, didn't really want it. I just needed enough to eat and feed my children. And I was I was really good with that. And um, I was at a dinner party. And my brother-in-law said something like we were talking about a small bathroom that was off of his living room. You know, he lived in a little small house in Austin. And he said, um, we were talking about how, you know, how uncomfortable it was and embarrassing if someone had to go to the bathroom. And he asked if bathroom odor could be trapped. And I remember that moment and my body, like I lit up and I was like, oh, wait, yeah, and I can do that. Um, I felt like a zing of chills up my arm mm-hmm. and I felt this enlivening energy. And he just kind of said, really, you think so? You know, kind of smart ass. And I said, yeah, I really do. So I went back home and I started mixing and I mixed for about nine months. And what was different in the past where I was pushing through for success, this I was being pulled so I don't know if you've been in a creative atmosphere where you, you can't help it. You know, you're, it's like you're get taken in a river. So I'm just mixing and mixing and mixing. Everybody, every single person in my life thought I was crazy. No one thought it was a good idea. Nobody wanted to talk about it. It was back. I, I must say the one thing I've done is made talking about poop cool. Yeah. Um, because before that, like I'd say, you know, I'm doing this for bathroom motor. People would look at me like I had four heads. Um, they were just really kind of, uh, they, nobody liked it. So after I created it um, one day, because every day I had all these testing periods, so I would send my husband into the bathroom. Thank God he had three bowel movements a day. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he would come out and he'd be like, no, it doesn't work. And, you know, my friends would come over and I'd be like, do you have to go to the bathroom? And they would just look at me like, why? And I would say, you know, I'm creating this product. And I'd be like, do you have to go number one or number two? Because I really need some number two testing. (laughs) So um, anyway, one day he walked out and he goes, oh, my God, we're going to be millionaires. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, do you realize what you've done? You've just taken the smell out of poop. Like he actually said shit. But Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's when I was like, wow, okay, this is pretty incredible. I was just excited because I made it work. I still never thought about it being a company, but I was kind of doubted myself because I've been working on it for almost a year. So I sent it out to a few friends. They loved it so much. They kept asking for more product. And then I knew it had to come to the market. So before I was pushing things out into the market, this again, I was in service of like, I can't keep this to myself. Like this stuff is really good. And that's when I started Poopery. So it was started with a different foundation than what used to happen in the past. 
Um, you know, it's funny. One of the, the, the first questions that came up from one of our listeners was like, ask her how she actually tested the product because, you know, it's not like beta testing an app. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know what I ended up doing? So I did. I would I would harass my neighbors, my friends, um, and they were seriously, nobody wanted to talk about it. That's also how I made the product funny or yeah. why I made it funny because I saw how uncomfortable people were with the conversation. And then when I named it Poopery, and then I would say, spritz a bow before you go. No one else will ever know. And they would say, what? You know, they would lean in. And I'm like, okay, this is it. Like, I can get them in when I make fun of this. Uh-huh. Um, so that's how I went with the whole humor thing. It was out of necessity to, to even have the conversation. Um, but, yeah, the testing was, was, was difficult because, you know, you have to have bowel movements to test. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but what I did is I ended up taking, um, putting vinegar so what I would do is I would, um, let's think, how did I do that? So I would create a film and then I would pour vinegar through water, right? So I would, I would fill a bowl full of water. I would spray, you know, the poopery sample I had, and then I would pour vinegar and I would see if I could smell the vinegar coming back out or if it had truly trapped it. And that's when I knew I was getting close. So I could, I could do that multiple times a day, um, without having to have somebody, you know, poop. But, um, eventually I, I, once I felt like I was onto something, then I would start making bottles and giving it to people to test. But Uh yeah, I mean, if I, you know, probably were in a lab or had people just pooping all day long, you know, if I, if I were handing out bottles, at a public restroom, I probably could have done it sooner than a year. But yeah. <laughs> I didn't have that luxury. <laughs> How did you come up with the name? And that was really fun. So um, my husband at the time wanted to call it Trap a Crap. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> we're going to start off in truck stops, right? I'm like, I eventually did bring out Trap a Crap um, that we sold like in the hunting kind of stores. But uh, everybody had these names. I was coming up with names. Nothing worked. And one day, my sister-in-law calls and she says, poo poo Paris, you know, like hip hip hooray. And I was like, oh. Hold on, no. Poopery, like potpourri, get it? And that's when I knew the name. Hmm. Yeah. But it was, I always say it takes a village. What I love about the creative process that I think people forget, I was recently, um, uh, cons- not consulting, I just kind of was helping out a friend, and they, they're very high intellectual, like neuroscientists and, and stuff. And we went to this creative meeting, and to see no one talking and no one throwing out ideas was radical to me. Because what, what my creative process is, what I love, what we do here, is literally you throw everything in the middle of the room. Like, it, it's a sin to not, right? And you're not attached to the ideas, because you never know, like with her calling saying that, it it can bounce someone off onto another idea that actually ends up working. Um, but yeah, that's how I came up with the name. So did you, did you have a sense that it was going to be as big as it's become when, when you were in that early phase of, of people responding the way they did? No way. Um, well, yes and no. So one thing I knew, so within the first six months, um, my brother-in-law and I were partners and he wanted to slow down. And I said, no way, dude, like we have something here, like everything in my being knew, like put the gas on. I no way, no, I couldn't have dreamt that it is what it is today. And um, the cult kind of brand that it is, I didn't even see that future. But it's like intuitively, I knew that this was not the time to slow down, like like we got to go on. So I ended up buying him out um, early on our agreement word that he you know, I did all the creatives, I developed it, I branded it, it was not a great partnership. But um, it was amazing because once I bought him out, then I was able just to put the gas on and go. Um, and I'm still not attached. In our company, we don't have dollar amount goals. We never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm constantly surprised, um, you know, about how people love the brand. Um, and I never, ever, ever. What I'm more, su- what I'm more surprised about than that people love the brand is the conversations I get to have about taboo topics. I mean, when you look at it, we have t- people talking about poop, like literally, <laughs> yeah. and it's okay. So my question has always been, what else can we talk about now? Uh-huh. Right. 
Yeah, there's, there's two things that really come up for me. Um, you know, one is, is that you don't have dollar amount goals. And, and <clears throat> I'm wondering how you accomplish goals, you know, that that drive the company forward when you don't have dollar amount goals, because that seems so counterintuitive to me. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm curious about that. Uh, the other thing I, I know is that you have never taken an outside investor uh, yep. to grow the company. So talk to me about the early phases. I mean, did you run into hurdles growing it? Like, were there challenges that were, were difficult? Were there possibilities that it wasn't going to turn into what it did today? Oh, oh, my God, there's challenges every freaking day. So I always tell people how you know that you're an entrepreneur. Like whenever you let's say you join track and, the, the you know, the, the coach gets you out on the field, you either know if you're going to run around the track, if you're a long distance runner, or if you're a hurdler. And what I always tell people is entrepreneurs are hurdlers and you can't make yourself be a hurdler. Right. It's like you can't just stop at every problem because being an entrepreneur is all you're doing is solving problems every single day. Now, what's exciting about that for me is that the reason I haven't taken on an investor is because I look at finance and operations as creative um uh, as, as a creative outlet. And it's kind of funny. I've had people go, oh, creative finance. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But what it is, basically, I remember my first Christmas. Um, and I remember going, I, I called one of my friends. That's a, it's a big investment banker. And I said, you know, I, I need I need help. I think I'm going to have to take on an investor. And it was, yeah, I wasn't even a year old. And um, he said, do you have any options? And I was like, hmm. So he really helped teach me how to think creatively. So I started thinking about, oh, well, hold on. I don't just need money. How can I get through this? So what I did is I called my manufacturer and I said, I know I've got 30 day terms. Can I get 90 days just to get me through the holidays? And then I called my bottle supplier and asked them the same question. So I just started like lengthening out the terms. I said, I'll be fine, but I need to build up inventory. And my manufacturer called back and said, we have something better for you. You buy the raw materials, get them here, and we won't bill you until you take ownership. So they were basically filling the product and holding it. And then once I needed it, they would bill me for it, um, which was a miracle, right? But it was me asking those kind of questions and looking at it as creative strategy, like, like, how do I get out of this? How do I get around the next corner? So no matter how big, and now the company, people say it's worth 300 million, but that's not true. It's worth more between like, depending five to 700. Some people have even said, so it just keeps growing in value. Um, but what's fun is every corner that I turn around, I look at, we, we take it from a creative approach. Like how can we we just recently had a thing with our COO and, you know, I get all of the people into the room, my ops team, because our COO, um, anyway, we had to uh, exit him from the company and I get my, my operations team. I said, okay, here's list out everything that's bad. So I took them through this exercise. Tell me all the problems. Now, circle the top three. They're going to make the most impact in our company. Now, give me solutions for those top three. Write those all down. So they just riffed in the studio. And I said, okay, in this little session, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave for an hour. You guys are creative. You know that every position in our company is creative. I want you guys as a group to come back, tell me the top three things that can happen and give me the creative solutions on how we can make the immediate impact on our company. And they came back and it, you know, the, they're like, whoa, 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 we got it. And they literally pulled our company out of this kind of operational nightmare we just had. But it's, it's that. It's like, I look at everything as a creative approach. I mean, as a creative problem. It's like, oh, this is just needs creativity. Mm -hmm. That's it, you know? Yeah. Um, and the way that we, that the same thing, that's the reason that we've, we've not taken any money, but also we don't have goals. We, we have goals, but our goal, goals are things like do epic shit. That's one of our that's one of our mantras. And when 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 someone has an idea, we ask around the room like is it epic? And what we find what we do is we go from epic epic thing to the next epic thing. We we also have a mantra we don't do good, we do great. Um, we don't want to do anything half-assed in our companies. We have all these poo puns. And we have a new book coming out uh, that's coming out I think next month called The Woo of Poo, Change Your Life in the Time You Take a Shit. Mhm. Mm um, yeah, 
but it has a lot of our commandments in it. But we literally live by these things. So instead of saying, you know, like we have these uh, dollar amount goals, we say, okay, we're launching in a target. We just launched in a target. How can we do that in the most epic way possible? Well, we end up launching in four locations in every target store. And then how can our marketing team, what can you do that's epic that's going to help support target? So those are the conversations we have, not we want to do $20 million in the target account. Uh-huh. We want it because that's limiting, right? What if it could do 40? Yeah. Yeah. So we really don't ever talk money in the company. Um, we do make sure that we're financially healthy and we don't, we don't do things super stupid. You know, we don't do jerk moves. Um, but what I find is when you're in a creative, our company is a creative. Every person that's in this company, when they're hired, it's you're being hired as a creative. You might be doing operations, but you are creative. Um, there's a resiliency and there's a life force energy that's, that is in the company that, that is more resilient than if you're just doing things by logic and dollar amount goals. Because you're not always going to do things for the health or the life force energy of a company. And what I find is if I'm ever doing anything for money, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. Hmm. So we say, does it turn us on and is it going to help the company? And if it does, we go towards that. Yeah. That's it. So tell me about the YouTube video. Um, <clears throat> I know that that was a huge part. Like that, that I think is probably how I found out about you. And a lot of our friends who are listening probably found out about you as well. Yeah. So that was really fun. So, um, it's it's uh, funny that I I I um a couple of years ago read um oh what's his name Clayton Christensen has a book called the Innovator's Dilemma uh-huh. I don't know if you've read it yeah. but one one thing yeah one thing he says is that when you create you know when you innovate uh, when you have an innovation in a certain segment that you um you're patient for growth and you're impatient for profit, okay? And then he said at a certain point when the Me Too's pop in, pop up, that you have to flip that, and then you become impatient for growth and patient for profit. Well, I did that intuitively. I didn't know. I'd never read that book. And um, But what I knew was we had built the company. Uh, we had about 10,000 boutiques. I knew that it was kind of a cult following is happening. We were a multi-million dollar company. I was taking 12 weeks vacation a year. My life was amazing. And I had this sense literally in my body, like, it's time to like, we got to get the show on the road, the same one that I had early on when I brought up bought out my brother in law. But this was a bigger one. It's like, oh, it's time, like Poopery is ready to come out to the world. And I couldn't really figure out how to do that. Um, And then I found these YouTube marketers back then. Gosh, that was four years ago, four and a half. YouTube was like a renegade sort of, you know, wild Mustang kind of place. And um, I started, I I knew I I couldn't afford TV advertising. I knew print advertising didn't yield any results that I could count. So um, I was looking for that creative sort of outlet. And I, I felt energy in my body. Um, we wrote a script. So what happened is we, I went to Utah. We camped. I bought this, uh, rented this house. Um, another thing I do with these creative endeavors, I usually take us off-site and just really inspiring atmospheres like sometimes writers do like i've taken us to the beaches of hawaii i've taken my creative team camped out in the mountains of utah at sundance and um we camped out and and within two weeks we wrote a script we cast um you know we, we cast someone for the script which is bethany that you see in all of our videos and we filmed we built the website and filmed the video all in a two-week period. And I think it cost us like $35,000. Like it's ridiculous now to think about. Uh, we pay a lot more money for films now. But um, it was it was such magic um, when you just put a group of creatives together and you're not attached and you just say, I feel like we, we need something and let's see what we can create. And I wasn't attached to the outcome, nor did I have an idea or a plan. Um, and we, we, we got together and filmed this in two days. I did not think it was going to be a viral video. I was told many times that that doesn't happen in consumer, you know, consumer goods. It just doesn't happen, especially with a blatant call to action. And then, of course, within the first week, we had sold all of our inventory and were $4 million in back order. Wow. 
Yeah. So it was really, but it, that the reason now we still almost every one of our videos have some virility aspect to them. Um, and the reason is, is because we only are going towards inspiration. Um, and we're looking at it as this is a creative venture. My VP of creative, I mean, this, she's 30. And I've been pushing her since she was 26. Like, uh, you know, hey, Nick, can you um, let, let's let, let's write a music video? She goes, what do you mean? I go, let's write a song and make a music video. I mean, wouldn't that be funny if we could make a music video? So we ended up getting Cameron Duddy from Uptown Funk. Um, you know, he'd made that. He was the director there. He was like, this is a dream job. And so she's done things. You know, now we're doing an animation that's going to come out in uh, February, the beginning of February. We've done music videos. I'm just exploring uh, our book. We're getting ready to see if we can sell a book by conversion video. And we're just experimenting. We're just playing. An idea comes through and we just go, can we birth this? And can we do it? What's fun about that is we usually win. But even if we didn't, we have gained because we've done something that we never thought was possible. So that goes back to our mantra of doing epic shit. So it's like, you know, my team all sits around and goes, holy shit, like we just made a music video. Can you believe that? Like we didn't even know we had, we wrote a song and we made a music video. And now it's like, we just made an animation. Can you believe that? Now, you know, I want to make a musical. So I just come up with these ideas and I push my team, really push them through inspiration. And what they do is they find out that they are way more, um, they can pull off way more than they ever thought was possible because, because I'm there going, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't work out, you know, we've lost a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like, who cares? Like, at the big end of the day, it's not going to break us. But what would break us is not pursuing these creative ideas that we have. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you've been sort of on the extremes of, you know, bankruptcy as well as, you know, accumulating a significant amount of wealth. And, and this is something I always, you know, ask people who've gotten to this point. How has your story uh, about money changed? I mean, you also grew up poor as well. Mm-hmm. And also a uh, question, you know, like, um, do, do you have any, any contact with this hometown that you grew up in now? And what is it like when you go back if you have? Mm. Yeah, it's such a sweet um, contact now. I'll tell you, I was very rebellious and I had disowned um, pretty much my earlier life because it was so painful for me. Um, and now when I go back, um, at first when I went back after... I first became a success. I had my head a little high and a little bit arrogant, and it just felt horrible to me. And now when I go back, I have such um, gratitude and compassion, and I know that 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 soil that I was bred in is is who I am today. Like, I absolutely know that. Um, and it's just really sweet. I, I, I've reconnected with a lot of people. They're so proud, you know, that I came from this town. I'm proud I came from this town. Um, I love my southern roots. I love when I say goals instead of goals. Um, <laughs> I know earlier I was trying to tell you goals, and I was making sure I said that L. Um, <laughs> but that's just who I am, you know. It's like I grew up in the South, and I love that. Um, and I forgot the other part of the question. How's your story about money changed now that you've oh. kind of seen both extremes of it? Oh, yeah. So um, let's see. Do you remember my spiritual sabbatical I told you I went on? And yeah. I went, I, I, I'm serious. Like, I'm a deep diver. So I was going down to the jungles of Peru like 10 years ago. And um, it was right after 2000, it was probably 2006, 2007, 2008, 9, all that. And I thought I was going to be a shaman. I was like, I don't know what. I'd started poopery and let's, no, it was probably 2007 through 2010. So um, I'd started poopery and I'm down in the jungle. And I'm literally asking people like, I don't want, what am I doing in business? I need to be down here being a shaman. So I went to my master shaman and said, and I said, I don't need to be in business. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to be a shaman. And he explained to me, he said, you're going to serve the world more being out there than you are sitting here in ceremony with 20 people. He said, money is energy. All shamans do is move energy. Business is the biggest form of moving energy through the world. 
that's that that's available to us right now. And I left the jungle in, in, again in service too. It's like, oh, money is energy. That's all it is. So when I look at when I look at money, to me, it's energy. It has to flow. Um, used to, I would hold on to money or I'd just let it go all. And I wouldn't think about the in and out flow of money. Now I know people always say, oh, you're so generous. You're so giving. And I am, but I also am based on knowing that money has to flow, energy has to flow. When it becomes stagnant or stuck, that's what you look at in feng shui, right? Or in feng shui, or if you look at a, a pond of old water, like that is literally stuck energy and it gets very stagnant. So money has to flow in and out. So as long as I have an in and out flow, um, I don't worry about how much money I have. I can't even tell you what my bank account, I haven't looked at my bank account in so long. I have a, a BP of accounting. We have monthly meetings. I say, hey, everything? look good. But I don't really even talk about money on a daily basis. What I do is I know money is like a health check. As long as I'm profitable and we are doing good, the health of the company is good. That's all I consider um, what it's worth now. And it, it's, it's radical. You know, I could have never planned that had, had I wanted to. So that's why. So that's what's changed about money is Money is not it at all. Money is merely a form of energy. And how am I letting energy flow in and out of my life? That's the only question. Wow. wow. Well, this has been truly amazing. I can see why Rebecca recommended you. So I want to finish with my final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews with the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Oh, what do I think makes someone unmistakable? Someone that's living in their true essence, that really is giving a creative outlet into the world. And whenever those people walk into a room, like you know it, they are themselves 100% and you're drawn to them like a moth, you know, to a light. Um, and the mistakeable, unmistakable is they're almost immune to the outside world, what the outside world thinks or uh, believes about them. And they really don't even care. Not that they're not empaths or concerned. It's more that their their goal is to, they're in service of this creativity flowing through them. And that makes someone unmistakable. And, and that's what I believe. I believe for us to change the world, that if we all accessed and, and actually had this creative expression in the world, whatever that is, it can be through business, it can be through art. There's so many ways, you can, even operations, as I told you, um, whenever we do that, then you, that is, that's your, um, it's almost like your duty as a human is just to be this conduit and let that creative energy out into the world. And if everybody did that, I mean, the world would shift and change. Oh. Wow. Well, yeah. I think that makes a, a really fitting end to our conversation. Um, where can people learn more about you, your story, the products and everything else that you guys are up to? Yeah, um, you can learn at poopery.com, P-O-O-P-O-U-R-R-I.com and uh, suzybatiz.com. And yeah, just, yeah, let us know. I, I love, I think we're, you know, we're on everything, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. I don't get into any of that stuff, um, really, but I know I have a lot of amazing people that that's what turns them on. They do it. But yeah, reach out any way you can. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect. Um yeah, I'd love to hear any 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 feedback that your listeners have. I would love that. And any information they want more, I'd love to share. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.